Welcome to Ring and Steel Podcast. We are on the air once again, answering all your starter information and just general information on everything outdoors. I am your host, Patrick Hagemeyer. I am also joined today by my co-host, Michael Hall. Mike Hall, sorry I keep messing that up all the time, but we'll get there. Sound like my mom. Michael, get over here. And today we are also joined by Kevin Winkler, one of our our friends that does a lot of hunting and uh, hunting on public land. So welcome, Kevin. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Not a problem. Thanks for coming down. I know it's a long way. Oh, anyway, so Mike, how have you been? Besides I've been busy. Uh, I, I, say, I have been busy. Uh, things have been going good. Uh, my regular job, keeping busy there. Uh, Black Market Coatings is extremely busy. We're loaded up with work and building the new shop. Uh, we've got concrete down. We've got the block down. Uh, Monday morning, we start framing. Should have the framing done this week. Uh, set and trusses the following week. And we are... We're getting moving on it. This thing will be up and running here shortly. Uh, extremely excited to get this thing going finally and, uh, yeah, get going with business. No, that's I, – I know I'm coming down to help you out from at some point in time, probably yeah, hanging yeah. a garage door or building garage door for you because – Might be standing up I've walls this weekend in the evenings when you're done with work too. Yeah, that might work out. Uh, myself, I've been out fishing quite a bit lately. Not a lot hit, hitting right now. It's been pretty warm, so the shallows are pretty dead. Um where I normally go, there's a lot of people on wakeboards, tubes, everything else because it's hot. And they don't seem to care about your uh, average fisher person anymore. They just kind of try to run you down, and it's kind of sad. You know, if, if you're going to be out on the water and you're going to be out there with people, you know, have some respect. Even as a fisher person, if you see someone skiing and they're in an area where that's all they're doing is skiing, try to find somewhere else. Don't Don't go into their area, and hopefully they'll stay away from you. It's a big lake. You know, let, let's stand with that and kind of look around and, you know, be respectful to other people. I, I, you know, kayakers. When I see kayakers on the water, I don't buzz them in my boat, you know, slow down, give them some space. You don't want to swamp them. No one wants to be sitting there trying to swim, get back in their kayak. It's not fun. But, you know, it's it's one day at a time, and I, I think it's going to be good. I'm looking forward to helping you out. Um, we'll get the shop up and running, and I think it'll be good. You know, talking about the boating and the fishing stuff and respect on the lake, we've been doing a bunch of fishing, but we've also been going out swimming and playing. We've got a couple of lakes we like to go out wakeboarding on, and, you know, I take my kids. I've got, what, uh, five, nine, or five, ten, and 13-year-old now, and, you know, we go out, throw an anchor down, find a nice corner to swim in, let the kids out, and we've got wake boats coming by, even without wake boarders or wake surfers behind them and they weigh that thing down and they start pushing waves at us you know, the, there is no respect for other people on the lake they just everybody if they live on it they think it's theirs they don't have to share it they don't you know it's getting frustrating annoying you know you've got ten thousand plus lakes in the state you know we try to go when i'm going fishing i go to lakes where people don't heavily wakeboard and play so i don't get interrupted but when i want to take my family out i want to have a good safe time with them and it it's hard well, the the area that I live in, there's a there's a ton of lakes in that area, to the east of town. And what I've noticed, uh, you know, just since this whole COVID thing, you know, there's a lot more people off work, so the the lakes are more packed. I I, I see some of the local lakes that I, I know throughout my life, uh, I've never seen more than five boats on a couple of them, 
and and now the public accesses are full. Half so hour on, half hour off. It is it's, nuts. Yeah. So I've pretty much given up all hope with with courtesy and anything from that because people, I mean, we look what's happening in our city streets now. I mean, people have just kind of thrown courtesy right out the window. Right. So now I've I've diverted all my attention to rivers, yeah. I, at rivers, stream fishing. I, I I just completely refuse to go to lakes anymore. Yeah, I just can't blame you there. No, that, that brings us on to the next thing, Kevin, that I was going to bring up. Go ahead and tell us a little bit about your background. I know that you did you brought up that you did do commercial fishing for a while down yep. in the Gulf. Yep. Um, I know you did guided hunts for a while. You guided h- people on hunting. So go ahead and tell us a little bit about uh, your background. Well, I, I guess I yeah, I don't even know how to start. I don't like to toot my own horn. I, I, I've never been devoted to one single job in my life. I guess I, I get bored very easily, so... You know, in the in the early to mid '90s, I had moved down to Florida, and you know, I was a pool boy at a big condominium down there, watching all those charter boats. And I just every day, uh, it's that that's what I've got to do. That's what I got to do. So I started asking the locals, and you know, that that turned into, well, you got to go down to the docks and talk to them. And I started that every day and landed a job on a commercial fishing boat, and that really. Uh, that takes things to a new level because that that type of fishing down there, you know, at that time, uh, you didn't work for an hourly wage. And I know there's a, di- a lot of these different programs we watch on TV, like Deadliest Catch and all that stuff, you know. But it, it, you know, it's a take of a catch it, more than it is the yeah, day. It, well, you, you know, they're getting percentages right. based on the boat's overall take. And uh, when I did it, commercial fishing in the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, the long lining was a percentage take, but but I worked on what they called a pick and pull boat for several years, and that was personal catch. What you oh. caught is what you got paid for. The harder you worked, the more fish you caught, the more you got paid. Okay. If you didn't catch any fish, you didn't make a paycheck. So, you know that really makes you start thinking, you know, and th- th- leading that into uh, the guide life. Uh, you know, I, I did some charter boat fishing down there, so that kind of led into uh, that whole aspect when I moved back to Minnesota. You know, how, how would I do that? You know, I know there's a lot of guides in Minnesota, and a lot of them are graced with the, the bigger lakes, living in those communities where they're, or, or relocate to those areas on the bigger lakes. And, uh, you know, I, I stuck with my, my local community in Todd County and just tried to go wherever I was needed and fill a couple spots at a couple of resorts here and there. I didn't do it as a full-time career. It was a right. weekend gig. But, you know, having dealt with uh, trying to please everybody, and we know we know how fish are. You know, there's just right. those days, I mean. That's why it's fishing and not catching. It, well, yeah, I don't throw that around usually, but it, it's, it, yeah, it is definitely that. I mean, we've all had those days where we could see those fish down there or had been on uh, a spot the day before previously pre-fishing or something like that and caught, you know, you couldn't keep them off the line. It was just back to back to back. But then you have, you know, your barometric pressure changes. You know, we had that front that came through last night, you know. To yeah, be that, on that, the, that was a light one. <laughs> but it would have been fantastic to have been on the water before that one hit. We were. Oh, I'll bet the bite was just phenomenal. It was pretty dead because it was so hot okay 
And then at about 8 o'clock around here, I mean, that storm didn't hit here until about 1. Sure. But about 8 o'clock, as the sun dipped and we started getting some shade, that's when things started to light up. We were, right. We were on sunfish. We were on bass. I mean, it was just one after another. Now, I was catching. The guy I was with, not one fish in the boat, mm. not one fish on the line. And he's looking at me going, we're using the identical same tackle. Yeah. We are casting in the same place. And you're getting fish, and I'm not. What's going on? I'm like, they don't like you. Well, now throw that into a guiding career. Right. You know, take take people out like that. Some people, you just wonder if they have any feeling in their hands whatsoever because you can watch their rod tip. You can see the hit, and you got to tell them, you know, a, a client or something, you know, set the hook, set the hook. It's like, well, it's too late. You know, it, it it's one of them things. So, you know, when they're on fire and you can have a great day on the water, you know, I respect all guides in Minnesota or any other part of the country for that matter because uh, you really got to have some patience with some people some people understand that it is uh, you know you may or may not catch something but then there's that that majority of people that uh, or, or that percentage of people that come out to the boat or come, go on a guided trip they're expecting it every right. time regardless nope. you're 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 just uh, your god you can put them in the boat regardless of the weather conditions do regardless of any other effects that might be taking place at the time you know uh, and they just think you're the guy you're going to make me catch fish right i think i think one of our other friends kind of had that thought in her head when she went pheasant hunting with you oh yeah well i mean it was a fun time but i mean it's uh, there again i when you take new people out whether it's hunting or fishing or i don't know anything about golfing but i imagine it's the same thing about golfing uh, you know uh, people that are are new into any type of thing, uh, they have high hopes, high expectations. You know, as as of recently, I just started doing clay targets with my two girls. I've, and, I've been watching that, and they've made a lot of progress. Oh, they have. But uh, I think day one, when we first started throwing targets, I you know I showed them some examples, and I guess I should have missed more targets because I think when they first picked up the gun, they they were thinking they were going to start powdering these targets right so uh they got discouraged there the first couple times we shot because they were missing the targets but then as we've went along the last couple weeks and we've worked on a few things you know uh you know swinging and proper stance and you know i just want them to pull the trigger to start with and and then move from there because that was their first time shooting at a moving target so now that we got them swinging the barrels and you know we're we're working on you know their line of sight and following forward on their targets, and yeah, they're getting better. They're- no, I've, I've watched a lot of your videos, and one of the things I'm watching is, you know, with either of your girls, you'll see the the, the pigeon go out, you'll see the clay go out, and they'll miss it, and you're like, okay, you got to lead a little bit more, or you get, you know, you're yep. a little bit behind that, and you're giving good feedback. But I think that's a main thing when you're teaching someone is to be able to, oh, you missed it, oh, you missed it, kind of thing. Instead of doing something like that turn around and go and it goes for fishing it goes for anything is give positive feedback okay you you did a good job this is what you you know you did wrong but let's try it doing it this way so that you can get that person to learn it's it's a teaching experience any of us i don't care who you are no one walks out of the womb and goes i can shoot a 454 casole and hit (laughs) you know hit uh, a gnat at 500 yards it's just not going to happen you know it's one of those things of it's a lot of learning, and even us, I, I guarantee you, all three of us sitting at these mics, if we go out with someone else, there's something we can learn from that other person. Absolutely. And it might be something small, but you just, oh, hell, I never thought of that. Right. 
but it, it changes and it's 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 a constant learning experience and that's what i love about the hunting and fishing and just outdoors right is having that and going i can learn something today i'm going yeah. to add to a skill set it's not just sitting dead in the water and oh i sit on a cane pole like my grandpa taught me to and that's all i do <laughs> off the bridge right you know it's I, I've gone from that to this year I'm starting with bait casters, which is sure. something that's a whole different learning experience there. You've learned quick that you need to carry a couple extra spools of line with you. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, but it's, it's a learning process. It's I was a learning the same process. way when I first picked up my first bait caster. I remember it well. I, I almost I, bought one last night for today's fishing trip. <laughs> oh, Glad I didn't right now. Um, the, the best thing I've learned with bait casters learning on them, I really like trolling with them. <laughs> right. Click, let it let, let that line go out, and I'm just going to drive away in the boat for a while, set. Okay, that's good. And I can reel it in, but I like the feel of it. Sure. And I'm getting used to balancing out, because every time you put a different lure on, you're going to have to change your reel settings and get the, the settings for, you know, your spool stop and everything yeah. else and your brakes. So I'm getting used to that. Sure. And it, that, I think, just takes time. The other thing I put on, I put on braided line, but not good braided line for uh, bait caster. Okay. So it binds. Yeah. So I'm actually going to rip that off and go to either a mono or a fluoro. I would highly suggest some some you know I wouldn't say cheap mono, but I would I would go with something that you would normally uh, heavier than you'd normally fish with. Okay. Uh, just to start out as you're as you're building up confidence with throwing a bait caster, and I did this back in high school. I think I bought my first base bait caster from my shop teacher when I was 16, but uh, you know you want that heavier line because it's easier to get the knots out. Okay. And it's gonna happen. Okay. Yeah. But but number one, uh, you know, you're supposed to hold your rod at like a 45 degree angle, and then kind of when you change your lure, test it to see if that right. lure is gonna drop. The spool should stop when the when it bait hits, hits the ground. ground the okay. Keep it a little tighter. That's okay. my advice to anybody. Whip it, 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 if you got to twitch the tip to get that bait to fall freely, that's probably a good starting point. Because, okay. Because I mean. Once you get it down, once you throw a lot more and you get, you know, go through a couple spools of line because you you got a little bit braver than you should have and you loosen that, that tension up a little bit more and you got a rat's nest, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. But don't do it with real expensive line because it is going to happen. Yeah, right. I've been fishing for quite a few years. Never educated, just self-taught. Uh, listening to you talk right now, you're speaking French to me, you know with uh and i'm assuming it's mostly bait caster related yeah um i've i've used spinning reels my whole life Uh, i'm right now teaching my kids to use spinning reels went from the you first first start them out on just those closed face reels that aren't supposed to tangle up which any three to seven year old can tangle the heck out of one of those (laughs) all day long but uh you like i said i was looking at bait casters last night and i didn't want to I wanted to buy one because I want to get into it. Cause I, you know, I watch some fishing shows and stuff here and there, and I see them using them, and it looks like they're, you know, pretty nice setups. But, you know, I wanted to take, like, a Patrick to the store with me or somebody that knows. I don't want to just listen to the salesman because I don't sure. want them just selling me what they're trying to sell today. Well, there again, it's just another tool, you know. It, you know, when it comes to guns and hunting, you you know one caliber, one size doesn't fit all. It's right. the same thing with fishing. I mean, if people look at my ice fishing supplies, they what do you need all those for? Well, I mean, regards if it's if I'm fishing crappies, I've got six eight rods for that. If I've got you know I'm going bluegills, I, I got six eight rods for that. Well, can't you use the same? Well, no, eh, you could. You but could. Yeah, I mean, but I don't. But yeah. that, that's that's even for me for ice fishing. I mean, I've got fourteen rods on the wall. 
And my girlfriend's like, how many of those do you bring out? I'm like, usually six. Just ask her how many pairs of shoes she has. And Not ask that her many. <laughs> I've actually got a good one. I mean, oh. no. Um, and then the other thing, Kevin, I wanted to bring up with you is you do a lot of public land hunting. Yep. Which I know last year we had talked about it, and I was going to come up and actually do some public land hunting. And then it got really cold, and I did the, my freezer's full enough. Right. So I'm going to stay where I'm at. Right. This year, I'm still waiting for the regulations for Minnesota sure. to come out. I have a feeling this area where I hunt is going to be two deer. And that's sure. more than enough for me and my son. That's four deer for us. Right. Uh, first year for my hu- son hunting. Now, we hunt private land. Yep. But there's some times that I've talked to him, and I said, we might go out on public land and just try it. It's something different. Right. Um, I know public land in the last couple of years has gotten busier and busier on a lot of it. Definitely. Um, what are some tips that you've got for that of just being respectful when you're finding these people on public land? Well, it kind of goes with the uh, the whole fishing a lake or fishing a river type of thing right now. You know, I, I used that earlier on, and that's kind of what I, I do now with the public land hunts. Uh, I do my research at home, do a lot of Google map looking. I, I stare for hours at maps, but, uh, you know, when it comes to, you know, wildlife management areas and you got to look at the ease of access and uh you know these off the beaten pathways you know uh, you know they're typically pressured pretty hard early on so i mean you can drive past a, a wildlife management area and you can tell by the driveway or you know uh, the the inconsiderate ones that like to leave their trash behind you know that is a good indicator of some place that i do not want to hunt so i usually tend to drive further uh, I try to drive to more remote areas, bigger sections of land, but I'll research it ahead of time, you know, and there's only so much that the, the you know, the maps are going to tell you, and you can research the DNR website, and you can find every every access point that there is in Minnesota. I mean, we have a lot of resources out there, but there again, a lot of them are, are trampled. So what I tend to do is I... I was lucky enough through my youth that uh, our deer hunting camp was in a pretty remote area, you know, north. And, uh, you know, I, I brought, I was raised walking through the woods with my dad when I was barely out of diapers. So when we were deer hunting, uh, I set the pace. I, while I followed him through the woods, I learned early on, you know, that you, you cover a lot of miles in a day. And uh, that that's probably the biggest thing is... Uh, you know, learning how to navigate, you know, I don't want to encourage anybody to uh, just listen to what I'm saying and, and pick up and I'm going to go to the remote, most remote place that I, because yeah. that's going to get you in trouble. Keep, I mean, that's within that, your skill set. Exactly. If you, if you can't read a compass, please don't rely on electronics. I mean, you, they all fail. I Batteries don't, die. Everything. Things go, hap- go well, south. Yeah. Poor signal. Things happen. I mean, an electronic GPS is a great tool, but don't rely on it. Make sure that you use a a compass and and know how to use it properly. And once you can do that in your backyard in places that you know, train yourself in, in smaller sections of land that you're familiar with and use that compass on those smaller sections of land and really know what you're doing with it before you try to venture into bigger areas. Now you can you can step it up like myself. I'll look for the dead end trails. I'll look for minimum maintenance roads that are not very easily accessible. You know, uh, 
you take times of year, different different things like weather patterns, like right now. Uh, we talk about Rusty right. going north today, going off road, and uh, there's going to be some surprises up there for him. Yeah, I, I think because uh, trees down, things like that. Those are the areas that I'm going to seek out to do my hunting. I'm going to go down the the most difficult path to get to where I'm going because I know that if it's going to be hard work driving in there and it's going to be places that most people are not going to want to drive their brand new, you know, 2020. Right. <laughs> yeah. Vehicle into trailblazer. Cause that blazes trail. Oh wait, those are cars now. Never yeah. Mind. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I was born and raised in Arizona, moved to Minnesota six years ago. I'm used to Arizona's hunting, uh, Nine, it, it seems like 90% of Arizona is public land. Mm-hmm. You can get out, go anywhere. You know, I, I still know it off memory well enough. If I were to go be dropped in Arizona right now, I know multiple places I can go drive my truck to the end of a road. I can hike another 10 miles. I'm not going to see a soul for days. I can get into remote areas and hunt. You know, I've done a little bit of exploring up here. I get a little nervous, because, though, because, you know, from at least Malax South, if not even a little further north, it's you only get these little tiny pockets of public land. Uh, but I've been going up to Marcel area with a buddy, and uh, I need to take you up by Malax. Well, I'll get you lost. All right, um, but I, I've been going up uh, near Marcel with a buddy. Typically, every summer we go do a three four day weekend up there. We did some grouse hunting once and found some public land. But like you're saying, it's heavily traveled public land. I you know, I've done some mapping, map looking. I would rather them actually start shooting some map, some satellite imagery during the winter when there's not so much green on the trees. You can actually sure. see some of the ground. Um, but I struggle with finding that low-use public land because I'm going to take my kids out. And I know, what's it, 95 South is shotgun slug only or muzzle loader for deer which is ridiculous because I can shoot everything else with any of my firearms in my safe from 95 South. But you just get, it's too populated everywhere I've looked and I'm trying to find those areas where I can get my 270 out. Now take that. I'm also used to having to make a 500 yard shot on a deer or an elk back in Arizona where here I told somebody one day, I was like, yeah, you know, I'd like to get somewhere where I can get three to 400 yards of range. He's like, you're never going to find that in Minnesota. Hmm. I, so, I can show you a lot of places uh, that, yeah, I mean, you got to go west further. There's more open country, but there's some bigger hills over that way. You get up into Ottertail County and places like that. There's some great hunting all yeah. around the state, but you just got to search for it and know what yeah. you're looking for. And, and that's the thing. It's so different here. I don't know what to look for in the state and how to identify it. I, you know, I'm talking about GPS. I bought a Garmin, and I got the map, so it shows me some landowners and stuff like that. So I can, I use that to start picking out where some public land is. Um like I said, hunting in Arizona, I had friends that quit hunting with me because they hated my hiking. Oh. I, I would hike them 10 miles a day. Wow. Up and down hills, through everything, and scrub brush up northern Arizona. But that's where I feel I'm actually out hunting. I'm not driving in a truck all day with a gun next to me looking for the right. deer crossing the road to shoot. Right. So. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, it's it's out there. It's available. I know for a fact because I, I find it all the time. And, and the big thing is... Uh, the land has changed. Like when I, I was lucky enough to to guide for a hunting club for rough grouse for several years, but but what came into play there was when the potlatch did the the subleasing, and a lot of really good land 
you know, that pushed those people that used to hunt in those areas, it pushed them into uh, now areas that wasn't leased, subleased out. So, I mean, a very valuable tool, and I, I hate to even put this out there, but uh, if you if you get your your county down pat, now I, I'm a hunter-gatherer, so during the summer months, I'll go for trail rides, like, you know, and, and I'll be looking for berries. I, I look for the raspberries, I look for the blueberries, I look for wild mushrooms, different wild edibles. That starts in the spring with morels and fiddleheads and, you know, all that great stuff. But I'm gathering that information while I'm traveling new roads, so I'm not necessarily just looking for those wild edibles. My eyes are peeled for more accessible land to hunt in the fall. With that said, so while I'm traveling through these new counties, if I really see some good stuff, I'm going to go to the county seat. I'm going to order a plat book for that county. You know, there, there's there's one resource that's that's out there that it's kind of like hunting public land. It, it's called tax forfeited land. Yeah. You know, so you you can get into some of these counties that that even though you see the signs on the corners of the property lines that are from 15 years ago, you assume that that's private property. May not what be you, anymore. What you don't realize is that sign's been hanging there 15 years, and the county now owns it, and it's tax-forfeited land. Now, I don't want to get anybody in trouble because you always got to do your homework with that. You know, make sure that that property wasn't sold again. You have to go to the county seat. you got to find out, is it still tax-forfeited? You know, you, there's a lot of work involved in that. Yeah. So, I mean, I just don't want to encourage people to go walking past signs because that's the last thing I want to see because yeah. I, I want people to respect the 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 landowners because if if you own that piece of property you, you want somebody to just assume that it was you know public land and and you know i don't want to mess up anybody's hunt right i did that on our private land we have it's okay. south of cold spring i'm sitting in my deer stand doing bow hunting guy walks right by me and he's looks like he's bow hunting as well i'm in my stand he didn't see me can i help you you want to see someone scared real quick have a tree talk to you. Right. Because, yeah, he did not like that at all. But it is. It's be respectful. Don't don't just jump. Do your homework. Hunting is something that you're going to do homework with. It's not like my son thought with turkey hunting of, I'm going to go out, sit down, shoot a turkey, come home. Right. There's a lot of work, especially I with him. You know, I kind of discouraged him a little bit on turkey hunt as his first hunt because that's a hard hunt. Yeah. They, they are spooky birds. And that's what he wanted to do. He wanted a turkey hunt. So we'll turkey hunt. Okay. And he didn't take a shot on a turkey that he could have got. And he's kicking himself now, but now he knows. Yeah. And that's his biggest thing. But, you know, do your homework. You know, you're going to have to, like me, I start putting my trail cams up coming up here in August for the bow hunting season. I want to see what's out there. I want to see what's going on. I want to see what's moving around. Hey, I've got three coyotes. I should probably come out here before deer hunting and take care of that issue. Let me know when it's time. Right. That is, that's on my bucket list is to become an avid coyote hunter. I, I don't know why, you know, I, I know coming up to before the show started, we talked and, you know, ethics of hunting and things like that. Um, I, I know, Killing, yeah. eating what you kill, using the maximum out of it, whether you're using the hide for something, using, you know, you bone it out. I've got friends, they take the back straps, some of the roast meat, and they scrap the rest. And my buddy that, that taught me to butcher my own deer up here, he 
he, I think he got frustrated with me in the beginning because I was cutting every piece of meat off the bone I could. I'm going to make ground meat out of all that. I don't yeah. care how tough it is on the deer or, you know, it may not be good for anything else. You run it through a grinder, it's edible. Right. Um, but coyote hunting, I, yeah. I want to get into that and that there's less use of that, but I know people that will buy or take the coyotes, use their fur for things and they use the rest of it for other stuff. But I'm definitely not going to just shoot a coyote and let it lie. I'm going to. You got to think of the other, other aspect of that when it comes to predator hunting. You know, how we've got to have some control on some of this. You know, things that get overpopulated and, you know, we have the tree hugger generation that, you know, we can't just kill things for no reason. There is a reason behind it. You know, it's it's like any other harvest. Uh, Another controversial story is about our our, our moose population in Minnesota. You know, we... I got yep. to see my, my, my dad was was part of uh, a moose hunt that one of the last few years that it, it was available here and harvested a moose in Minnesota. And I always thought, well, what a wonderful thing. If I could take my kids moose hunting in Minnesota or elk hunting. I know right. I still have the elk hunting deal. But, you know, the, the, I, I don't so much believe a lot of There's a lot of stuff out there that when we talk about different things going on in our world today, uh, with uh, whether it's fishing regulations on Mille Lacs or you know there's controversial topics out there and one of them is uh, you know of course the moose population and this brain worm and uh, was there a brain worm yeah man you know I, I, I believe more it's the, the predators more than right. anything and that's what I, that's what I was going to bring up is is it that our moose population is dropping because of brain worm or other factors or is it our predator population moreover, the gray wolves we've introduced, the, the timber wolves that we've introduced, right. that are decimating different populations in different areas. I'm not saying across the board. Don't right. get me wrong. I'm not trying to say that. But there are a lot of wolves that are doing what wolves do. Yeah. And, you know, I, I saw this whole thing with the Yellowstone of, well, we reintroduce wolves and the rivers changed. And if you actually start researching into that more and more, you find out a lot of fallacies with that. But yeah. you have to do that research. You right. can't just look at it on face value. You mean media doesn't tell us the truth all day long? <laughs> Correct. Oh. But that's why I try to keep, you know, we've tried to keep this podcast factual. We want to give you facts. I don't want to just give you my opinion or Mike's opinion or Kevin's opinion. I want to go on what's factual. You know, it's it's can we question this moose population all day long? Yep. We, we, we can sit and go with numbers. We can sit and go with DNR. We can go with the people who are anti-hunting. And we can go through all these different numbers. And everyone, at the end of the day, 99% of the time, is going to leave believing what they believed when they walked in. Yeah. And that's what it, where it stands. Yeah. But do I, do I personally feel we need to do some predator control with some of the timber wolves? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, if you look at over history and over the last few years I've done research – trying to at least have factual data when I'm having a conversation with somebody because I want I don't want to just spew my opinion. Everybody's got opinions. They were formed from something, whether it's growing up or just wherever you get your information from. But, you know, I've changed my opinion on things because I've researched, looked up factual data, and I've taken that data and looked and researched to make sure that data was correct. You look at deer population growth from the mid-1800s to today. There are more deer present in the U.S. as a whole today with the... Now, there is a decline in numbers of hunters. Hunting is on a decline right now. I, I want to see that change. But when hunting was at its max, deer populations were still growing. Mm-hmm. 
you you can equate it to okay with the farming in society they're getting better food a lot of it has to do with proper game management yeah you you have to manage it when these wolf herds coyote packs when they get out of control they will decimate an area they will take every living thing out of it they will move on to the next yes it's the same thing that happened with the buffalo when people crossed the plains they've decimated the buffalo herds but it's controlled it's it's based on statistics and data so hunting anything is one your money from your hunting goes to resources to improve the habitat Two, you're controlling herd counts to where the herds actually thrive you know if you just left a herd of deer in one area they're gonna go away because they're gonna decimate their food source they're gonna so you have to control that and it will grow at a proper growth rate right so no i i I do have to agree and I'm, i'm trying to adjust what mike i'm ah there i am Sorry about that. I know hey, I've Patrick's been we- back. <laughs> I, I've been weak all episode, and it's just I'm not a normal board op. A normal board op is trying to get stuck on Jeep trails right now. It's because <laughs> he bought a Jeep. He thinks he can go anywhere. You know what's funny is he started with that Jeep of I'm keeping everything stock. <laughs> that lasted a day. It lasted two before he got wheel spacers. Then he got this. Then he got this. Then he I'm never taking the top off. Never taking the, when we went out when the last podcast with Derek and we went and got burgers. I'm not taking the top off. I'm not taking the de- the doors off. It wasn't a week till I saw pictures of that thing with doors and top off. Did you yeah. see me encourage him with the uh, the rear bumper? Yes, yes. <laughs> but you know, we love you, Rusty. But we do. But you know, it's, it's, it's a Jeep thing. We understand. I can't wait to see him spraying his tires off out there. Oh, he, water <laughs> tank on there. I, I told him today. I'm like, you're you're going to get muddy up there. He's like, no, it's not going to be bad. How soon and is I, he going to have an onboard air compressor? All the ARB stuff soon. Yeah. Soon he bought a, a portable air compressor that he can hook up nice. already. So, no, it's you know with this public hunting and I, the one of the things I've looked at with public hunting is okay, Mike. I hunted near Solana State Forest, which is up on the other side. It's it's east of Malax, eighteen miles. Okay, that is a huge area of land. I've gotten lost in there. Good and knew how to navigate back right. i mean i knew if i kept going south i was going to hit highway 18 and i'll be good but that's something you know my uncle got lost in there he had two compasses both pointed different directions <laughs> yeah well it, it do you just take the average of each to knowing know what you got you've got to know what you've got and i said you got to practice with your compass before earlier in the program but you know don't have it next to your GPS with batteries in it and whatnot. Right. Don't have it next to your gun barrel. Sometimes set it on a stump and walk away from it. However, in Minnesota, because of the iron ore in the ground, right? Yeah, mess with we things. do have some troubled areas. But if you're not, if you're second guessing your compass in a specific area, take a hundred yard hike in one specific, you know, random right. direction and try it again, and 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 focus on checking and double checking and rechecking your compass to make sure that you weren't over an iron ore deposit or you didn't have the gun next to your uh, compass. Or and that's like what that. I've always told people is when you're using compass, if you're questioning that compass, do line of sight. You're standing at your compass. Okay, I know I need to head south. Fine, whatever south on that compass. Look a hundred yards, tree, whatever it is. Pick that tree. Walk directly to that tree. Don't zigzag around. Don't be looking at your compass. I'm going from this point to this point, which is due south or whatever direction you want to go. When you get there, recheck it again. Mm-hmm. If it's still saying the same, 
and you need to go south, keep following that compass. Yes, you could be completely wrong, and that's when you want to start going, okay, can I get open area where I can find where the sun is, where I can find stars to navigate off of if it gets that late. But that's stuff you should learn as survival training type stuff, and that'll be a whole other episode that we'll get into of survival training. But my recommendations, anyone who's going to be out in the woods like that, get yourself a decent compass, get yourself a decent knife that you can keep with you, because that that's always good. I carry a fire starter with me at all times. Just because if I get stuck somewhere and I'm lost, my best bet, I'm lighting a fire, I'm sitting put. Because smoke, I will throw green stuff on that all day and smoke it. Number one, it gets rid of my bugs. Number two, someone's going to see that and go, why the hell is someone burning out there and come find me? Yeah. Build enough, big enough one, it's it's pretty noticeable in the night sky, too. Yes, it is. Uh, but it, it is also a sense of security. Yeah. Uh, a fire, you know, rather than sitting out in total darkness without a fire you know you get a more of a calming effect and and one of the biggest things in a in a situation where you're uh, you know you, you hear everybody always say you know don't panic don't panic but i remember my very first time i would say that i've only truly been lost one time in my life and it was on a deer hunt and uh, I, I believe i was 13 years old you know okay I, I, and beautiful sunshiny day i you know had all these years of practice with my dad you know walking thought i knew everything you know did not carry a compass i'm just gonna walk in there you know and, and we had snow on the ground already then and i went west and i knew i was headed west but i, I was going away from deer camp that that hill over there looks better and i just kept leapfrogging Keep kept going. going kept going kept next i wasn't paying attention didn't watch the weather next thing i know it's snowing. It's covering up the tracks that I thought I was going to follow back out of there. And next thing I know, it's getting dark. You know, uh, as a 13-year-old, uh, I was crying. I was running through yeah. the woods. I was in panic mode. And uh, it, <laughs> it's not a good feeling. It is not a good feeling to get lost when you're, you know, like that. Out. And, and I was young at the time, but I swore to myself then and there, when, you know, Thankfully, I came across a hunter in a tree that pointed me back to the right trail, knew who, which camp I come from, right. got me out of there. But it was dark when I got back to camp. But, I, I mean, with that one situation, that that I never did it again. Nope. See, and nowadays, kids think, okay, we have everything electronic. We'll even bring in those, our walkie-talkies or little handheld radios. You know, those don't work that great. I, I, unless you buy some of the highest-end ones you can find – you get too much tree, you get a hill between you. Those things don't work well. Yeah. You're, you're going to lose communication quick. You're going to lose batteries in your GPS. Your phone, if you don't have signal, even GPS, yeah, my Garmin, I can pick out 15 satellites at a time. i got to have three for it to work. And I've been in places where I can barely get one satellite on the thing. Right. And, you know, you've, you know, I, I did scouts with uh, for a couple of years with my son. Uh, we're now, the whole family's doing 4-H stuff, but... I really enjoyed scouts. We'd go up to our Parker Scout Camp, and, you know, throughout the activities in the day, they had the scouts, you know, no electronics. Here's your compass. Here's some paper. You've got to find your way through this course and make it to each landmark, each thing. And, you know, they taught them how to use compasses. Uh, I don't practice it enough. I feel bad for it because I carry multiple compasses in my bag with all my electronics and everything else I carry. But, you know, you've got to be able to do it everything you carry is a skill and a tool 
even from knot tying. I'm I'm the worst knot tire in the world. And I no, learned, you're not. I, I learned this last night as I was stringing up my new rod and I'm trying to tie leaders on. I'm tying 18 different leader possibility knots, watching YouTube all day long. And I've got one knot I rely on all day long for tying everything together on my fishing bowl. But I get out in the campsite. I'm I'm in trouble when it comes to knots and setting up stuff. If it's not a tent with poles where I can just whip it up real quick. I'll have to show you one after the show or something like that I, I've used from everything from anchor lines to tying down tarps on trailers it's the first knot that i taught my kids how to tie hooks on to it's just i don't even know that if there's a name to it and if there is a name to it that's my that's not my knot skills set i know what these knots are i don't know if there's names to them there probably is but there's one that i rely on and i use for pretty much everything except for braided line braided line is the only one that i I had to pick up that. I lost a few rule uh, uh, lures. I I remember it well when I. So for for braided line because that's what I run. I run a lot of braided line. What I'll do is I'll wrap around the line, go through the eyelet, go wrap around the line, make the loop through right next to the eyelet in the loop that you created, come back through, and then I wrap back around the single end and pull tight. So it's a modified it, clinch knot. It is a modified clinch knot, but it pulls on both sides at the same time. That I have not lost a lure other than the line being cut by northern teeth or something of the nature or snapping where I snapped it myself because I hooked a rock. I hooked a tree underwater, which just happened when I was up on uh, Deer Lake. But I have not lost a lure, just boop, gone. I've I've done the cinch knot and cast it and just watched... A buzz bait, just keep going. Yeah, well, since I, I did switched. that to like three lures in one one day. The first, I, it was like the first spool of braid that I had ever put on, and I lost. I just cast it, and the lure went. And I was like, "That was a fifteen dollar crank." Right? That's I the mean, worst feeling in like, the world. I tied another one on, and it happened again. I was like, "What am I doing wrong? I know I've got this knot." Uh, come to find out, you know, I, somebody instructed me try a polymer knot. Yeah, and, polymer knots. And work that's I, yeah, that's the only one I use on my braid anymore. And then there's the other one that I don't even know the name right. of. I've uh, I switched to braided last year uh, for the first time, and I've yet to break it on anything. I've pulled my boat to where my stuff was snagged to get it sure. back, but I switched on it the day I went out to Malax for the first time fishing. Had a buddy with me. I had my nice fairly new spool of mono i just bought this season you know and i'm i've gotten pretty religious about replacing my line every season i've tied up my uh my brand new uh spinner you know back where i'm from we call them uh bushwhackers i think it was a brand name but it was the y with the spoon on one side the big hook with the skirt um I cast that thing. I'm watching it fly. I'm like, good night. That was a great cast. <laughs> and I realized my line's not following that thing out there. <laughs> Brand new. Uh, Tied up another one, shot it, sent the next one flying into the trees again. I stripped every inch of line off that thing. We took the boat in. I bought a roll of uh, braided. I've not turned back. I still like a little leader on there for some give occasionally. Right. But last night, I was, I, I was talking to you last night, Patrick, yep. and complaining about not tying, putting a leader on, and went back to i'm not running leaders on braids now i'm just well, cinch not on i don't lose them like i like but. i said before though just just keep that in mind when you do step up to that bait caster to go with a heavier monofilament a cheaper yeah you know trialine xl or xt and wonderful, that's, that's what you know. i'm gonna do i've got the braided on there i'm just gonna get that back on the spool i have 
and just switch over to a mono for a while just to learn it. And keep a couple spools with you. Oh, yeah. Or just get a big spool of it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's going to happen. Yeah, you'll get, you're will get. going to have to cut one or two of them off before you, you right. know, teach yourself to keep that tension up there a little bit more or check it more often. I do miss the simpler days when I was in my youth where I grew up. We had we called them duck ponds. They were just little lakes, man-made parks with little lake and ducks all over. In Arizona, you didn't have a bunch of natural lakes. No, <laughs> no, no. Canals though were great. Fishing, pulling carp and bass out of canals. Um, but this duck pond I'd go to, man, I'd go to the fishing store and you just get that twenty-pound test, whatever whitish clear line. Yeah. Throw that on any old rod. Go out and just fish all day. Now it's. I've gotten to the point where I can tell when a pike's hitting. I can tell when a bluegill's hitting. I know when I've hammered a bass bef- just off the bite. Yeah. You know, I've, I, I spent an hour and a half at Cabela's last night looking at fishing poles because I snapped my competition grade pole I bought two years ago. I got a St. Croix last night, and I'm going to find out how well that is today if the weather holds for us. I, I thought it was funny watching you fish with me this winter when I was cheating with my camera oh my gosh yeah (laughs) go out on the ice okay i i i just i've got side scan sonar on my boat now i've got all this i feel like i'm cheating i get out on the ice with patrick he drops a camera and i'm watching my jig i'm like dude this ain't right game changer yeah (laughs) you caught fish though didn't you oh we caught fish holy cow did we catch that said though i i I have come across a couple situations in in over the years where the camera spooked I, I oh, mean, absolutely. I, I just, I, I don't like it. I still, you know, fall back to my sonar every time. And, you know, I think I, the real game changer here within the last few years is that, uh, what do they call it? The, the Garmin Panoptics. Yeah. But so much money. So I looked at it because he and I have the same main system on our boats. Sure. And for an extra 300 bucks, I could have upgraded to the one that would do Panoptics. Oh, wow. And I'm like, do I spend the extra 300 bucks? For something I may or may not get is the yeah. pan optics that live sonar. What we were look, what you used when we were ice Mind fishing. Blowing. No, what's the because ice fishing to running the uh, that was just a flasher. Okay, because you've got you know a fish finder on a boat. You've got your down scan, and there's apparently three options of down scan. You've four. four. You've got color. Black or yellow and white. And I've bled Vexlar I, for years myself. I, I mean, I, there's all different types of, uh, you know, the flashers out there. But, uh, you know, uh, Vex, t- Vexlar's never failed me, but I, I, at I've, this point. I'm still a fan of Vexlar. I don't own one yet. I've got my little Garmin CV4, 4CV Plus, or Garmin okay. Striker Plus 4CV, whatever you want to call it. That does everything a Vexlar 28 does, the okay. FLX 28. I can do the bottom lock. I can do, you know, different, but I can do four modes, so I can have different ones. So I can have sure. bottom lock on here, and I can have a regular, the full water column over here. Okay. So that, that helps that out for that one. I can also narrow my beam, so I can do stuff that the Vexlars can't do. Okay. But there's something about the portability of those Vexlars that I like, and I'm still looking at them for this the coming durability. season. Right. I, I, and, and, you know, I, I used to do some in-store repping for them, and it's still, you know, when I look at the abuse that I put mine through, and, uh, you know, I'm, this is by no means a, a plug for them, but when there's less than one-tenth of one percent on returns on your product, that says something about We'll take it. a plug and for it if have, it gets us a sponsor. I have <laughs> beat. I, I, I mean, I used to have a bad habit when I was uh, loading my gear at the, at the night. If I'd walked out, I would 
start my vehicle and it's running and it's warming up and I'm loading my fish house and whatnot, I set the bucket up on the hood of my, my yeah. K5. And, uh, you know, I figured I'm not going to drive off and leave it here at the access if I set it up there in front of my driver's side window. So I'll just set it up there as I'm getting ready because I'm going to throw it in the passenger seat for the ride home. It's, you know, vibration dumped it off there more than once, you know. And I was like, why did I do that twice? (laughs) (laughs) Didn't learn the first time. I mean, I took that same Vexlar, one of of my first ones. uh, You know, I was hightailing it across Lake of the Woods with a sled behind me. up in Canada one time, and I, I the sled come unhooked, and I I look back to see that thing, the transducer cable just flipping and flopping. Right. That thing was bouncing down the ice, <laughs> and I was thinking, great, I'm going to be here another two days, and now I ain't gonna, I'm not going. I picked the thing up, and it worked just fine. Nice. It worked for a couple of years after that too. Nice. So you, you look at the price points now. You know, I look at that price point on that Panoptics, and I'm thinking, would that survive a fall off the hood of my truck? Probably not. Probably not. Would it? Would it come? You know, if I my sled come unhooked behind my snowmobile and it was tumbling across Lake of the Woods, probably at the end the of that. Panoptics gonna gonna hold up like that? I mean, that Vexlar is bulletproof. Yeah. I mean, I will stand by that regardless. Uh, no, absolutely. Till the end of time. But anyway, we are coming up on our time. So, Kevin, I did want to thank you for coming on with us today. It's been a pleasure. It's been my pleasure. Um, it's great learning. Um, I'm gonna put this out there real quick. Um, from what I've learned and from what I've heard from you today, just meeting you today, I'm thoroughly impressed. Um, I would like to make sure you know there's an open invitation for you to come back. I appreciate that. And off air, we're going to discuss this, but I would like to do, because we are looking to get into putting video out on our some of our social media, um, I would like to look into doing some, whether it's just go out exploring, shooting some maybe demo videos of some things you know stuff like that i'm open uh, to anything we want to do yeah the uh, biggest one that i want to do with kevin and this one uh, is i know you know them well so you'll understand what i'm about to say i want to go through some of the wild mushrooms sure and identification of what's edible what's not edible i'm no expert survival you're not but but the stuff that you do know i mean going out hen of the woods chicken of the woods right now i mean those are the big ones right now they're out there chanterelles are chanterelles are starting but knowing those basic mushrooms, I even get a little iffy on the morels because there are the false morels. Yeah, well, it, 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 the, the, the one you want to stay away from in Minnesota is called the steak morel, and I found one in my life. And that's what I'm so, saying. That's the, I mean, that's the false it, morel. It, it, the, the, not really. No, the false morel, uh, what people call a false morel, is a half-free morel, and it is edible. Okay. People say it's not. But the steak morel is the only one that I will not touch. Is which, that the one with the solid stem? It, it, it just, it the the cap does not, I mean, it's got a texture that looks like a, a morel, but yet it's kind of oddly shaped and will be have a little red okay. or orange tinge to it. it. There's no way to, mis, in my personal opinion, I'm not encouraging anybody to eat anything that they can't positively identify. That's the However, biggest thing, and that's why I said I want to do it, because... Sure. If you don't know mushrooms, do not eat mushrooms. Perfect. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. If you see something that's red with white spots on it, by well, God. You're talking Anamina muscari, and, and, and that's, uh, believe it or not, I, and I, I, I shouldn't say that it's edible, but if you do your research on it, there's a process, I guess. If you, you know, you don't uh, stay away from it. It's uh, they, it's got a n- nickname. I, th- I believe they call it death cap death or something. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying is, it's if you don't know what you're doing, no point in risking it. 
no point in risking it. So thank you, Kevin. We are still looking for sponsors for our show. Yep. We're, we're trying to get a little bit bigger here and get going. Um, so if you are interested, please message us on Facebook. Um, you can reach out to mhall at blackmarketcoatings.com. There you go. Uh, another way to contact us. Um, we will be pushing more out onto social media, be it an orientation, orienteering video with Kevin here out on some public land. Or, you know, we might do some fishing videos because it's that time of year. I'll and probably... I forgot the GoPro for today. That was my goal. Fail. Maybe it'll just be a cell phone video for the fishing. Oh, boy. Um, I'll probably put out some hunting videos this fall when I'm deer hunting. Um, one of the things I'm probably going to do, and it's going to be gross, but when I do get a deer, because I haven't missed one yet, but, you know, fingers crossed, knocking wood, I'll get another one this year. But how to gut a deer. Because there's so many different ways that people gut deer. Yep. And everyone will tell you something different. Yeah. But no one will actually show you. And it's not a nice process. Well, and unfortunately, we didn't get to that. You, you, before the show started, you said you wanted to touch base on, you know, getting people involved in the year. Right. And, and I guess I'm going to have to come back for that segment. But it, it, it's, just, it's an important aspect of it. And I think that's one of the hindrances that we have with the decline, declining population of people that are, are wanting to get involved in outdoor sports, whether it's fishing or hunting, is, is the fact that they're not being taught anymore. There's well, nobody to teach you. The single parent, I am a single parent. I mean, right. it's it's just a difficult time in in our in everything that's going up, little things that play into that. So it's the gutting of the deer, and it's the cleaning of the fish. Yeah, it's know, just not killing it. It's or, or taking everything. It, taking it off the hook. You know, there's a lot of small things like that that add up to why we're seeing a, a declining population of people that want to be involved in outdoor sports. And it's unfortunate. Because yeah. You know what? I think I figured out the the title for that episode. I think this is the easiest way to do this one. That'll be a whole different episode because I think we can go a whole show on Easy, just that stuff. without a doubt. It's, okay, I shot something, now what? Yeah. Now what? Right. Because even me, when I got my turkey last year, I got a turkey, now what? I don't yeah. know how to debreast it. I don't know how to, you know, clean it out. I called one of my friends who's shot turkeys multiple times. You mean it doesn't come in a bag that says Tyson when you shot it? Well, yes, it's also covered with feathers, which that's even more of a pain than anything. Because at least with a grouse, you can kind of put your thumbs on the breast and pull the, you know, the skin apart and get to the breast. Turkeys, not so much. Those are tough birds. Yeah. But, Kevin, thank you. Appreciate Mike, it. Mike, thank you for having me. Yeah, thank thanks you for again, everything. Kevin. And uh, we are going to get out of here. You all have a very good day. Stay safe. Check out something outdoorsy and let us know what you're looking into. If you have show ideas, please let us know. If you want to come on with your business and you want to promote your business and, you know, talk to us about it and be part of the show for a show, let us know. We can work something out. Other than that, have a great night or a great day, whatever it may be, and tune in to Ring and Steel next time. Thank you.